Heading up a sales team can be a bumpy ride. Sure, life is good when your team hits revenue targets, but what if they don't? Most sales VPs consider two options to identify and fix issues related to revenue performance. Option one, work nights and weekends and micromanage your way out of the crisis. Option two, find the budget to hire a senior sales enablement resource and initiate a lengthy recruitment process. Now there's a third option for sales VPs to consider. Fast Forward is a sales enablement consulting service that helps sales teams to fast-track strategic sales effectiveness improvements. At a fraction of the cost of a full-time senior sales enablement resource, Fast Forward's clients gain access to predictable and sustainable revenue performance improvements. For the listeners of this podcast, Fast Forward offers a free and non-binding sales enablement micro-audit valued at $1,000. To learn more about Fast Forward and to claim your micro-audit, visit goffwd.com slash podcast. That's goffwd.com slash podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. This week's episode features an interview from late 2021 with the brilliant leadership team of the Trust Enablement Community on the Trust Enablement Podcast. This roundtable discussion was labeled the Global Sales Enablement Summit because the participants dialed in from literally all corners of the world. John Moore from the US, Britta Lawrence from Austria, Pooja Kumar from Malaysia, Dave Nell from South Africa, and yours truly from Australia. We spoke about the global state of sales enablement, trends, predictions, and more. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Let's get into it. This is a super special episode because we're a bit like the United Nations over here. We're bringing together a truly global point of view on the state of sales enablement. I have here with me today some very, very special people. We have the board members of Trust Enablement, Britta, the founder, and Dave, who is here with us virtually, but not quite here, but Dave Nell from South Africa, Britta's from Duck Region, John is representing the US, but really global. Dave is from South Africa. I look after trust enablement for India and ASEAN. And we have a very special guest who's joining us from Australia, Felix Kruger. And we are here and really care about the space of sales enablement and are here to raise up the profile of sales enablement. So that's us. I think together we've got a lot of experience in sales enablement. Felix, could you tell us about the research that you've done and the paper that you've written or the work that you've created around the state of sales enablement 2021. Yeah, sure. So first of all, by the nature of my business, because I'm running an advisory firm in the sales enablement space, we have the advantage that pretty much everything we do is research, right? Like it's qualitative research because we talk to, of course, our clients, we have sales conversations, we network. We consume sales enablement content every day of the week. So every day we learn something new, right? But what we have specifically done with the state of sales enablement 2021 was we essentially did an analysis of all the research that is out there by the most reputable sources of research 
we have essentially selected the most valuable insights from these research pieces to really make sense of the whole sales enablement space, where it's heading, what the challenges are, and what enablers around the world can actually learn from those insights. So this is our attempt to, of course, stay on top of our game and be really leading in our thinking around sales enablement. But it's also a great tool for us to contribute to the sales enablement community and essentially cut through the noise that is out there around sales enablement, all the endless information that is out there and do the curation job for the community for them to better understand the space where the professional is heading and what they can potentially do better in their jobs as well. So the kind of sources that we have looked at, just to give you an idea is, so we've included research from McKinsey Company, Miller Hyman Group, Sales Enablement Pro, LinkedIn, Gartner, uh, Salesforce, and more. So those those are kind of the kinds of sources that we've used. And as I said, it's highly data-driven and it's designed to complement the qualitative insights that we gain by interacting with the market and to the podcast that we're running as well. Felix, may I ask you a question right here? The sources you mentioned, what were the most represented regions or was it across global or did something stand out that something was missing? What did you find from that currently? Most of them were global. In some cases, with the very large businesses like LinkedIn, there was local data available specifically for the Australian market, which is also utilized to paint a region-specific picture. But generally speaking, it was mostly global, which I think also has to do with the sample size that those research pieces aim to achieve. I mean, sales enablement becomes more and more common, but I think it is very hard to paint a realistic picture with a limited sample size. So what are the three trends? I did have a look at your piece of work and there was a lot of great content in there. What are the three sales enablement trends that you currently see specifically? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a whole lot of trends going on, but just for the purpose of this session here, I have pulled out the three most striking ones, I think, which are also probably most insightful and also actionable for the audience. So the very first insight that we've extracted was that biocentricity is still mostly a myth in a lot of organizations, but it is kind of masked by the circumstances of COVID-19, which means that there's very few repercussions for organizations that aren't biocentric if you're in the right category. Yeah. I'll elaborate a bit on what that means. Yeah. So according to LinkedIn state of sales, 65% of sellers say they always put the buyer first. But then if you ask the buyers if they actually agree that sellers always put the buyer first, only 23% agree, right? So uh, sellers think they are buyer-centric, but the people that it's actually about, right? The buyers, they disagree, right? Which is obviously a big gap between perception and reality. On top of that, you have a dynamic where B2B buyers have increasingly high expectations in their buyer experience, yeah? So... A research piece by Salesforce looked at the expectations and the buyer experience between B2B and B2C. Yeah. So business buyers versus consumers. Yeah. And considering the multitude of experience that everybody has as a consumer, you would think that for them, the expectation would be higher. But this research piece really showed that, in fact, the expectation for business buyers is these days higher than for consumers. So 85% of business buyers say that the experience a company provides is as important as its product or service versus 79% of consumers, right? I think the reason for that, without knowing the ins and outs of all the answers, but my assumptions around this result is that business buyers 
have the advantage or the reason why their expectations are so high is because they can draw from the experience that they have as consumers as well as being a business buyer, right? So they have a much broader experience pool to draw from to set the bar really high for all the experiences that they have also from a business perspective, right? So that means if you're a B2B seller, suddenly you don't only compete with other B2B sellers, but you also compete with B2C brands because this is what the buyers are used to, right? So Dave and I, we actually spoke about that when he was on my podcast. We're actually talking about, for example, if you look at Uber, right? Like suddenly everybody expects all the apps and all the self-serve models to be as convenient and as insightful as the Uber app, right? And I think this is really reason for B2B sellers to step up their game in terms of the buyer experience. On top of that, the reason that what I initially said about COVID-19 actually masking the discrepancy between buyer expectations and buyer centricity is that the budgets have increased during the pandemic, according to McKinsey. So there's a lot of budget increases in software and hardware in particular. So hardware budget increases is number one, software is number two, and then number three is marketing and advertising. Yeah. So you see more money being thrown at really urgent issues that B2B buyers have to fix for their organizations, which means that it is not a reflection of what is actually usually happening in market. Yeah. So that means sellers can essentially get away with not being as buyer-centric as they should be and still close business because there's urgent problems to fix during the pandemic. That last bit was not something that I see. <laughs> no, really okay. <laughs> I actually have to qualify that statement because I have led conversations recently with a head of growth who is really experienced and really well connected here in the Australian market. And he has worked across a lot of quite big brand names here in Australia. And he still has connections with those companies and has insights on their sales performance as well. And he actually shared with me that it really depends on the category that you're operating in. There are certain categories, like if you think about customer support, if you think about anything communication related, like virtual communication related, if you think about HR software, recruitment software, those kind of things, those categories all experienced like a real influx of business. He even went so far in saying that when he hires a salesperson for his business and they have worked across certain categories, he actually ignores their performance during the pandemic because it's not a reflection of reality and their real sales skill, right? Because he essentially says they had it too easy during the pandemic and there was too much money thrown into these categories for those achievements to be really a reflection of the skill of the person. So yeah, I have to agree. Some categories might have missed out. And I know we're seeing the same thing, right? I mean, I know I talk to people, Felix, and that's an awesome list where you're right. It's so easy to make a sale in some industries right now that you don't have to be a good seller. You almost have to be an extremely horrible seller not to make money. Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, especially in Australia, there's a big talent shortage at the moment because Australia is so reliant on immigration, especially from the UK and the US from English-speaking countries, which means that there's, a, at the moment, a massive fight going on for talent as well, right? So I've seen jobs advertised for sales roles with a 200000 Australian dollars base plus commission, which probably makes you end up at 300000 And the requirement was five years of sales experience, right? <laughs> so you can see there's a lot of money being thrown at the problem of sales talent shortage as well. Right. Let's all get on the plane. I'm going to buy myself a big old house in Sydney. I love it. That's right. So also, if we look at the data of organizations practicing sales enablement, so uh, Sales Enablement Pro has actually tracked the progression of sales enablement being practiced in organizations. And 
according to them, now we've reached a point where 74% of organizations actually practice sales enablement in some shape or form through internal resources or through initiatives or through vendors. So it's good to see that organizations are doing the right thing. But it is still really important to actually not take what's happening at the moment as reality, right? So we're basically caught in this really unusual circumstance. And there's a lot of trends and behaviors in market that are actually skewing what's going on at the moment. So what I expect to see after the pandemic is a, a hangover in the, in the sales space. So that means a lot of companies will actually realize that what's been happening is not real and they need to step up the game massively to actually become biocentric. Right. Hallelujah. When that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens, right. A research piece by CSO Insights, the Miller-Hyman Group, I think, which is one of the best research pieces that actually talk about the hard metrics of impact on self-performance. This research piece was from 2019. They haven't done a new one since that talks about the same metrics, but they were specifically looking at the behaviors and the focuses that shift performance in win rates and quota attainment, yeah, which is at the end of the day, what sales enablement ideally should be measured by rather than activity. What they have stated is that of the 19% of organizations that dynamically align their sales process to the buyer journey, those companies see a 17.9% increase in win rates and a 11.8% increase in quota attainment. So it is really safe to say that this data point from before the pandemic is probably more of a reflection of what will be happening after the pandemic. And you can really see that the alignment of the sales process to the buyer journey, which is ultimately the translation and the behavior that we expect to see from sales to be buyer-centric, really has the potential to shift the needle commercially and really make a difference to the revenue of any business. Yeah. So from my conversations, so back to the qualitative angle of my conversations in the Australian market, I think it is still shocking to see how many businesses and even really mature businesses haven't mapped their buyer journey, right? It is absolutely astounding how many businesses force their buyers into their sales process without actually aligning that sales process to the buyer journey. Yeah. And I think there's a big, big opportunity for challenger brands that are out there who want to take market share of the incumbents to actually do that better than them to better enable their sales team and then ultimately close more business and actually catch up to those bigger brands. Yeah, I agree, Felix. I mean, certainly all of those trends and data points are ones I know we've been looking at and seeing as well. So it's exciting to hear you share them. And it's funny when you talk about buyer centricity, everybody's buyer centric. It's a very marketing term, but nobody actually changes how they go to market. Very few companies are changing how they go to market to actually mean anything. It's a great call out on your part. I know I've seen those during the pandemic. A lot more businesses starting to actually pay attention to the real data, the real metrics about how they're doing activities that correlate or at least have causatory relationships between what they're doing and the business bottom line. And I don't think it's across the globe because let's be honest, across the globe, half of the world still doesn't know what sales enablement even is. But for those companies that actually know what it is and are have been doing it for a little while, it seems like, it feels like in every conversation I have, and I'll be curious what everybody else says, Britt, I see you raising a hand. It seems like more people are actually taking advantage of a more data-oriented approach to enablement. What were you going to say, Britta? Agree to everything what Felix and you just said. In the report, if you also saw a change based on customer success enablement, for example, because especially during the pandemic, it was the topic to go into customer success enablement. 
And also in parallel, the partner enablement. We speak about buyer enablement, but we also need to enable our partners to sell what we want them to do. Did you identify anything on that in your report? No, no. So that, that wasn't specifically covered in the research that we were looking at. Next topic to research. Get yeah, yeah, right. on that. <laughs> no, but I agree. I've recently had a lot of conversations around land and expand strategies where customer success certainly plays a big role. And again, I think maintaining and growing business is easier than actually closing new business. So I think there's a big opportunity to include customer success more and more and equip them with sales skills and consultative skills as well to utilize them in the whole buyer experience and expanding business on that basis. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think that buyer experience is important. I am seeing a lot more around the channel development, but this piece around the biocentricity, which is very close to my heart, by the way, I think very much my mission is to change the whole world to be truly biocentric. You know, that could be could, good luck. I'd like to put the world to sleep. But I do see that becoming a lot more prominent now. And companies in certainly the regions I work in, which is ASEAN and India, are starting to consider what they need to do to be more biocentric. And thus the land and expand strategy and the customer success teams are starting to bubble. We're seeing a lot more customer success teams yeah. and customer success enablement teams as well. And in fact, from trust enablement's perspective, we're going to be starting to talk about buying enablement a bit more as we go forward. But I'll save that for a little bit later in this conversation. But I agree with you. I think it's becoming, it's no longer acceptable to only use the marketing terms. We all need to grow up a little bit and recognize the ownership and the power that our buyers actually have in the process. So spot on. To add to that, something that Dave had put in or some of the thoughts that Dave Nettle had sent for South Africa is he said to support the seller through this journey of becoming more biocentric, virtual coaching and coaching generally, but more being able to do it virtually being able to shift the mindset of sellers through coaching, that's become quite a big focus of the big need now that he sees in South Africa. And it resonates for me as well. I can see it bubbling into a big need now as well. Oh, amen. The other thing I was going to throw out there, because I'm curious what everybody thinks about it. I've seen, there's certainly a lot more talk about it at things like the last SES event, but I've been seeing and, and hearing a lot of people talk about it, both in business and outside is a focus on the well-being of the individuals in the business. All the sellers who have been struggling just as much, if not more than, than all the rest of us locked up in our houses during COVID. There's a lot to talk about, and I think it's amazing to see about mental health of sales, physical health because of the ramifications downstream on that. There's certainly a lot of focus in enablement's role with HR, with L&D, with sales leaders, to bolster that? Is everybody else thinking the same thing? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a double title. It's called Sales Enablement and Organizational Culture. So that title has only kind of propped up over the last two years because we felt like we need someone to just make sure that people are in the right headspace. And I think the last two years have been definitely more, it was tougher for a lot of sales reps. Britta? I think we also see it in the actions management is taking in a lot of companies that they are giving those mental health day off 
or even give a whole week off to recover. So I think it's really noticed also by management to share and value what everybody has been doing over the last couple of months and also what it actually put on the shoulders of everyone. I mean, mm. being at home, juggling all the balls of the things happening at home and focusing on work, that has never been the case before. And I think that's something that really got recognized and it changed a lot of how we see home offices and also how we see specific roles. Right. I mean, we hired a whole generation of new sellers to our business who have never actually met each other in person. Yeah. There's no built-in loyalty to each other. There's no team collaboration dynamic that you often see. So I think you're right, Bert. I think that's leading to a lot more focus on how do we start to bring people together and take care of them. Also think about the new generation. They never felt this real networking feeling, what we had, what we were able to enjoy. Also mentoring having a real physical mentor within your company, seeing how others are doing their job. These are things they are missing out. You can watch a video, yes, but it is a difference if you're allowed to follow a mentor or have a physical body to go along with versus doing it virtually. And I think we really need to cater that need to overcome the gap we or the pandemic created. Yeah. So mentoring is a nice segue to a point that Dave made again around AI and tech starting to play a much bigger role in the onboarding process. And I recently had some conversations with a couple of companies around AI playing a role in coaching. You know, I have to tell you, five years ago, you told me I'm being coached by AI. I don't think so, buddy. (laughs) But I'm now seeing the value of it because at least for specific sales coaching pieces, right? where you need to make sure, especially when you're onboarding someone remotely, that they understand the value proposition of what you're positioning, the personas that you're positioning, et cetera, et cetera. I am starting to see the value of it because it's time-consuming and it takes out the bias. But isn't um, that also a quality or a skill enablers need sorry, to have? I'm saving. you to understand what kind of technology should I bring in? Does it fit what we are doing or is it an extra burden on the team? I think TQ is going to be one of the next upcoming skills. We talked about EQ a long time, but now TQ is coming into the game and the combination of both, that's going to be gold. If you're able to juggle both balls, you're going to be the star out there. It is. And the only thing I wanted to add there was the robustness of AI computational models combined with the sheer amount of data that they have at their fingertips now, their virtual fingertips now, they've just gotten a heck of a lot better. So from a scalability solution, amen, Pooja, I think they're adding so much value. And from your perspective, Britta, from what you said, we can't lose the human element. And I know I'm talking to my friend and mentor and be human expert out there, but the human side combined with the technology, which I know I've heard you talk about, Britta, in the past, Oh my God, it's so important that we can't lose sight of that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think if you think about the hype curve, the famous Gartner hype curve, I think the AI and technology is currently a bit on the decline where people actually realize, okay, it is powerful, but it still can't replace the human touch that is necessary to actually be consultative, to build relationships in market. And I think the focus is, again, more shifting towards utilizing technology to enable people rather than replacing them. And I think that's a positive. 
Absolutely. We have to use it in the right way to make sure that it supports everyone, but never forget the person behind. You can't go, for example, into a sales coaching meeting and just hammer down your data and forget that the person is sitting there like, maybe something happened. So please be open and really watch what you see and listen what you hear. Really deep listen and not just listen on the surface. Agreed. I like Pooja's point, and I didn't want to lose sight of that. It does take some of the bias out of the equation. We all have our biases and filters, for better or worse, simply because that's how our life's journey has taken. So it does help, but we also need to remember sometimes AI can be built with bias as well. Exactly. <laughs> that's where the humans have to fit in and then continue to fit in. Yeah. Now, actually, there is another trend that I'm seeing in ASEAN and India. Dave feels the same way about South Africa. And I think that I'm seeing it in Australia too, but Felix, you can talk to that. I was super excited to see so many more roles around sales enablement appear in our regions. Clearly. So it used to be, I feel like I used two years as a broad statement for everything, but not so long ago, sales enablement, especially in larger companies, was run in the US, and then you had a program manager in India or in ASEAN countries or in other parts of the world who would deploy the sales enablement. But I'm starting to see more. That was okay, but didn't take into account that culturally our buyers are different and thus the enablement needs to support the buyer's journey. And so that was really my big beef, I guess, about how those global teams or global roles worked. But I'm starting to see a lot more strategic roles now being advertised and being recruited for within Asia Pacific, certainly in ASEAN and in India. And I'm thrilled about that. What about you guys? What are you seeing? I can just confirm that it is starting to come also to, it was the same in Europe. Everything was based out of the US or UK, the English speaking countries, and deployed in everywhere else. But now the job roles and the uh, opportunities, I mean, they are huge and they are coming up. You see so many roles right now. Mm -hmm. I can totally agree with that. Yeah. I can also confirm that for Australia, most of the roles that I speak to on my day-to-day, like in the SMB space, C-level and VP of sales kind of level, there's such an appetite to understand sales enablement better. There's more and more roles popping up. We actually did an analysis. I unfortunately can't exactly remember the data point, but we actually did a breakdown based on LinkedIn sales navigator data of the sales enablement roles per capita adjusted for 100,000 of population for across the English speaking world. And Australia was actually, even though it's small, it was actually, if you adjust it for its size, it was actually the second best resource country behind the US. So I think there's more and more roles popping up. It's still a small market, which probably won't change in the near future. But yeah, I think it's becoming more and more prominent. And you've got some great enablers in Australia, actually. Very strong set of enablers in Australia. So that's great to mm. see. The only thing I wanted to throw out there, Pooja, and sorry to do it, beyond the fact that we have some amazing people listening in and leaving comments on the LinkedIn, Crystal, Gail, Peter, Mariana, and all of our good friends are out there leaving some good commentary, and I appreciate yeah. it all. One thing I want to say is what you're recognizing there, Pooja, to me is so important because it represents a maturing of the enablement function too. So many yeah. things that start off in the U.S. historically, I'm not saying I believe this is right, but just historically, when it's still really early on, 
there's a lack of trust to hand out ownership or strategy out to other parts of the globe. The fact that it's maturing out and reaching out to the other parts of the globe and more responsibilities being handed out, I think represents a maturing of enablement across the planet, which is a wonderful thing to say. <laughs> Dreams are coming true today. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we'll go to Australia. Peter Bray said there's openings and we're all going to go down there. <laughs> Peter Bray. Oh. <laughs> I know Peter Bray. Yeah, that's an intro. Felix, we all want to roll with him. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to switch gears a little bit in the last few minutes and ask prediction time. Now, guys, Felix, actually, let's start with you. If you were to look at your sales enablement crystal ball today, what do you think are some of the emerging business trends for um, for sales enablement? So I think number one is, as I said earlier, technology will be used to enable humans rather than replacing them. So I think the hype around AI is still there, but the expectation is no longer to be able to fully replace humans, especially if you think about high ticket tech sales. It's just something that you still cannot and probably don't want to scale through technology. So I think technology enablement will be a big one. I think considering the sales skills that you're seeing, which are also being nurtured by increasing number of sales enablers out there. I think the requirement for sellers to be analytical and have business acumen will cause sales departments to look for talent in new places and probably will change the typical career path of a salesperson in the future. So I think that's something that might be happening as well, especially in Australia, as I said, because there's a talent shortage, there's big potential for that to happen. And then lastly, I think revenue KPIs, if you think about that being more deployed across sales, marketing departments, in some cases, even customer success, if they have some sort of revenue targets to upsell or cross-sell customers, I think that revenue perspective is something that will grow across the whole organization. So I think that mindset of, okay, I'm, I'm working in a department that's just a supporting function will change in the future to be more revenue driven, which is ultimately what every organization wants to do. Just to give you an example, somebody who has displayed that mindset a long time ago at the media company that I used to work for was the head of video. So he was producing video for the news website and he always taught his team of video producers that they're not producing video to produce video, they're producing video to make money, right? So yeah. he really instilled that even though video production is not necessarily something that you would think of being a revenue driver, right? And or being a mindset that you would have to drive revenue. So I think that sort of mindset yeah. will grow over time across different departments of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. I love everything uh, Gilles just said. That's really awesome. One of the things that I'm going to add on top of that, and we talked about this in terms of the buyer centricity. Today, buyer centricity means I'm trying to find a better angle to sell you. One of the things that I know I'm seeing in conversations I'm having a lot more and that trust enablement will be talking about in some way, shape, and form more and more is buying enablement, really helping the buyer go through their change management, their understanding of what they need to do internally before they even talk to us sellers. We all know that 70% or so, depending on the research you look at, of the buying journey has taken place before they even talk to us anymore. And that's only going to get worse and worse in more commoditized markets and solutions. So as I talk to you know people like Sharon Drew Morgan, 
who's been looking at this for the last 30 years and others, we have an opportunity as enablers, and this is my challenge and I'll be quick, to really think about how to put the buyer first. We will make money as a result of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're going to create a nonprofit and start giving our stuff away, but really helping them, encouraging them to go through their process. And if we do so, we'll see as a result, better qualified leads, better value driven conversations, happier customers that stay longer and all that goodness. And I'm running for president. So I, I want <laughs> get my vote. <laughs> Pooja, Britta, what do you guys think? What do you think is coming? Here you go, Britta. I mean, what should I add to everything said already? I think from the Dach region perspective, we see the evolution of sales enablement per se. We've heard it before already that we are always a couple of years behind, but we are picking up and we're coming in strong. So we really get what it is now and people start to understand it as well in the field and start to work on it. And we also see that on the number of jobs which are out there. So I totally think enablement is going to make the difference in how everything is going to be in the growth of businesses and the wealth of businesses. And it's going to have a huge impact on the customer experience and buyer experience, as we heard before already. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I can only add to what you're all saying, because I agree with all of it. I think that my crystal ball shows that in the next two years, the Southern Hemisphere is still going to be either mostly remote selling and remote working. And I haven't spoken to any enabler that feels like they've found the right equation to enable and upskill sellers as well as they could. So Mariana, maybe TikTok videos. I've been talking about enabling through TikTok videos <laughs> because micro learning and getting small bite sides of enablement to support the sellers, that's kind of what we need. But I don't think we've got it right. I am not convinced that most companies have it right. I'd love to hear from you if you think you've got it right, by the way. So that's kind of the remote enablement and remote onboarding is still a big deal. Dave Nell is seeing the same in South Africa. I'm looking at his notes. And then finally, my final prediction is the rise of AI in sales enablement. I think that's going to be part of all of the content enablement and all the work that we do over the next two or three years. So Pooja, I know we've gone longer than we intended, but we could talk for the next 47,000 hours on this. Maybe we jump to the top three tips. Anybody yeah. want to start? Felix, do you want to kick us off with maybe your top three tips? Top tip for enabler. Let's do top one tip for enabler. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the top one tip, we touched on it earlier. I think content plays such a massive role in the remote buyer enablement and accommodating for the buyer journey. There's a data point out there from Gartner that 44% of millennial business decision makers would prefer to make a purchase without any seller interaction. And if you think about that, even though the buyer regret is higher for those kind of people, I think there's still the need to create better content in a sales context. Marketing content is often not only top of the funnel, but high up in the clouds. I think content needs to be more buyer-centric to really support them in making educated purchase decisions. That's my top tip. Work closely with customer-facing teams to gain those insights. Pair that with your own research around the industry that you're serving. Then work with product marketing and marketing and actually creating content that then ultimately supports your buyers. That's my tip. Pooja, you go next. You keep waiting till the end. Your turn. Okay. My top tip is still the same for all enablers. Be bold. 
you know your buyers, you know your sellers, you know what the buyers need, and you're probably closest to the ground to be able to create or see what change is needed. Be bold, speak up, and create the change that you need to see up there. That just became my favorite line and tip right here. <laughs> what about you, Prada? Don't assume you know everything. Stay curious and listen to your customers internally as well as externally and adjust. Adjust daily and be curious. Felix, they do this all the time. You had a great tip. Pooja blew my mind after yours. On top of you blowing my mind initially and now Britta blew my mind. I'm going to give a real simple, basic one though. Find the highest revenue owner, revenue leader in your business and get on their calendar. Sit down with them and understand what makes them tick, what they're concerned about and find ways to tie your efforts to their outcomes and goals that they care about. Build those partnerships, people. Build those partnerships. I agree. Great tips, guys. Thanks for listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast brought to you by Fast Forward. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate an Apple podcast review. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of videos, articles, and templates on gofastforward.com slash learn. That's G-O-F-F-W-D dot com slash learn. My name is Felix Kruger, and you've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast.